Well, how are we doing, everybody? Happy October. It's here. I'm not going to tell you how far away we are from Christmas, but um, it's, it's, Christmas is close. So we'll be in the hustle and bustle of that before it's over with. Which brings me to today's message about trials. Trials are defining moments in our life. How many of you would agree with that? You've gone through some. Some of these trials that maybe you've been through, um, you know, it, it's, it's taught you something. Like something on the other side of it. When you were in it, it was the worst thing ever. But when you came to the other side of it, there was a defining moment. Something that you learned, something that God showed you. Um, maybe it trained, trained you to act in a different way, to, to speak in a different way. These, these trials cause these defining moments that become real to us. And I just want you for a moment to think back through the last trial that you went through. And think through, and maybe, maybe for some of you it's right now, like you're in the middle of one, or you just stepped into one. I want you to think through those moments, you, how you feel going through those trials. In James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 9 today, and James picks up on the same thing that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is about the trial. How do we make it through trials as believers? What, what do we do as we follow Jesus? Trials are going to come our way, and James continues to give us this counsel, and he uses this term on how to persevere. How, how do we persevere to get through trials? He's going to give us a perspective today, but he's also going to give us a very important warning that when we go through these trials, because I don't, I don't know if you like me, but what I have found is when I go through a trial, they often leave me wondering, did I do something wrong? Anybody have that? But I mess up? All right, there we go. And then sometimes I wonder if God even cares that I'm going through the trial. Maybe, maybe if some of you have been there. You know, I was, remember growing up, there was a song that we used to sing in church, and it said that sometimes God calms the storms, but other times God just calms the child. And, and there are moments in those trials where I just want God to calm me, like to hold me, to pull me in and say, I got it, and make it go away. But there's sometimes that he allows the winds and the waves to continue to blow, and he calms you inside instead of the storm. So James told you he's the half-brother of Jesus, and here he is writing this book to these Jews, these 12 tribes that have dispersed, they've been pushed out of their homeland. So the audience that's reading this, and James himself, they're, they're no... They're no strangers to these going through trials. They're, they're kicked out of homeland. They're, they're trying to discover who they are now and, and make new lives for themselves in the places that they, they have gone because they have been unjustly kicked out of their homeland, the, the promised land that God gives them. And what James wants is he wants them, just the same thing that he wants from you and me, is he wants us to know that God is always up to something good in the middle of the trial. And today, James is going to give you a new perspective and a dire warning on what to do when we go through trials. Because here's the deal. Trials will reveal false foundations in our faith. When we go through these trials and we're trusting Jesus, it will show us where we have some false foundations. That we've built some things on a foundation that is not strong. It's not a firm foundation. So James says this in, in verse 9. He says, 
Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat. By the way, doesn't the weather feel wonderful outside today? Like, if we would have preached this in the summer, we would really feel this verse for the sun rises with its scorching heat. And it withers the grass. Its flowers falls. And the beauty, its beauty perishes. So also would the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. One of the things that trials do is reveal where your life is built on these faulty foundations. Like if we just take money, for instance, we, we can accumulate as much money as we possibly want. I, was, I heard a story about Prince the other day that, you know, Prince was a famous musician, right? Um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, lots of accolades, uh, weird, but lots of accolades, uh, Purple Rain, anybody with the Purple Rain? Some of y'all, I know, some of y'all used to go to the roller skating rink and y'all would skate around with Purple Rain would come on. But Prince was a Jehovah Witness, and I didn't know, I didn't know this part about him, but he, with as much money and fame as he, has, that he had accumulated, he still believed that he had to be a practicing Jehovah Witness, so he would go door to door, oftentimes in a disguise, to share his beliefs with other people. And a pastor asked him one day, Prince, why do, why do you do that? He said, because I, there's something more than just fame, and I feel like I've got to do my part. And it was sad because he also bought into this thing that he's hoping just to be a part of the 144,000 that will get into heaven. But, but even, even here, Prince says, hey, there's, there's more. There, there's, there's, this driving, there's this driving force. It's not about just our money because we can't accumulate enough of it. It'll, it'll never fill the void that, that is in our heart. There's a spiritual hole that only God can fill. There's a lumberjack who was preparing, he was cutting down several trees in the, in the forest. And just before he began, he noticed there was this beautiful bird that had gotten in this tree. So the lumberjack goes and he grabs a mallet and he begins beating on the bottom of this tree to get the bird to leave. And the bird leaves, annoyed, because he just built himself a new nest, and he moves to another tree. And so the lumberjack goes to that tree a couple of days later and he takes a mallet and he bangs on the bottom of that tree to get the bird to leave that tree. Well, this goes on about a half dozen times where the bird goes from tree to tree to tree and the lumberjack just keeps going and, and beating the bottom of this tree. And the bird eventually just abandoned the forest altogether and he went somewhere else and he built a, the nest on the side of a rock face. Now, I imagine that the bird understood that this lumberjack is trying to be mean. He's try, he doesn't want me to have any fun. Uh, the lumberjack, he probably thought, was just attacking each tree that he attempted to build a nest in. But the lumberjack's true motive was not meanness, but it was compassion. Because, see, the lumberjack knew that every tree in that forest was about to be cut down. And he wanted the bird to build its nest in a place his axes couldn't touch. Does that not sound like us oftentimes when we go through these trials and we build our lives on these faulty foundations and God comes and starts beating at the base trying to get us to understand to move and we think God's mean and God's not compassionate and God doesn't care and where is God but really what he's trying to do is to move us to a better place he's trying to get us from a place that is we think is all good but we don't know the destruction that is about to happen so in these trials when we're in the middle of them, God is simply trying to move us through the process. 
while learning, while gathering things that he's trying to teach us and show us. And everybody's trial is going to be different, right? We've all had different. Some of our trials have been extremely painful, and others, they've, they've been painful, but they just maybe not compared to what somebody else has been through. So in trials, he says you've got to let the, the lowly brother rejoice in, in things and let the rich brother have his humiliation. And then in verse 12, James repeats the theme. He says this, that blessed is the man who remains what? Blessed, the man who remains what is blessed? Steadfast. The man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he's going to receive the crown of life. Do you catch that? That blessed is the man... So blessed are, are us, men, men and women, right, who remain steadfast while going through the trial. Like we don't give up, we keep pushing forward for when he has stood the test, he's going to receive the crown of life. There is a promise of a blessing on the other side of your trial. And he says, which God has promised to those whom he loves. James is saying in the middle of these trials, you and I are to stay steadfast, we're to, to persevere, You'll receive something that's far more valuable than anything that we could ever get on this earth. Don't, don't you agree that we can have a lot of cool things? There's a lot of, we, we are in a place in society where I'll, I'll learn new things and I'm just fascinated. I don't know if you've seen this thing. I've been like honed in. They built this big sphere ball thing in, in Las Vegas and it has over a billion LED lights in it. It's one of the, they say it's one of the most technologically advanced concert halls in the world where everything acoustically is perfect. They don't have any sound. It bounces off just at the right angles and the right decibels to where it's just so calming to the ear. And when you walk inside it, this place has got billions of LEDs all over the place and they can make any picture and anything they want over it. And it's just, it's like mind-blowing when you see it and you think, man, this is billions of dollars have been poured into this. And Jesus is going, but it's nothing compared to what I have. Our homes, our families, nothing compared to what Jesus has for us. He says, so when you're in those trials, you've got to stay steadfast. You've got to persevere. You've got to keep on moving. I often think about it. Like when you're on a treadmill. Any treadmill people in here? Okay, now let me ask this question. How many of you hate the treadmill? Okay, more hands. I'm with you. Because you start in the moment, I don't know about you, but I'm like 35 seconds in. It's like, <sighs> sounds like an air compressor has busted, and I'm just ready. I just give up, right? I don't care that I paid this trainer 30 bucks a month. I'm done. Like 30 seconds in, I'm good. I don't want to do this anymore. But what is perseverance? is getting through the busted air compressor part of you and continuing to your goal. Like, I'm going to run for five minutes. And then we get a minute into it, and it's like, I'm going to run walk for five minutes. And then we get two minutes into it, I'm just going to walk for five minutes. And then maybe we're going we're gonna to move up. Like, we, we got to, you have to persevere to be able to get through it. You got to push through the hard times. But James says in, in verse 13 through 18, he begins to teach us that when you go through these trials, yeah, there's a steadfastness. Yes, you need to persevere. But he gives a, a warning that there are deadly off-ramps of sin ahead of us when we go through these trials. Look what he says in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he, him, he himself tempts nobody. 
Okay, did y'all catch that part? God tempts people, yes or no? No, okay, just want to make sure we're on the same page. We read that the same. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then the desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own, will be bought. Now he's brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be kind of first fruits of his, cre- of his creatures. So he's saying that any, any temptation to sin is not a trial from God. Like you, in almost every trial, there's going to be a chance for you to take a shortcut, to try to get out of it. I don't want to deal with it, so I'm just going to ignore it. That's one shortcut. Or I'm going to find another way to, to, to lessen this pain to kind of get me out of this really quick, right? You know, you ever been on that family trip and you think you're taking the shortcut and you find out it's not the shortcut? Um, me and my friend uh, Sean McSwain, you know Sean McSwain, we went to a conference a couple of years ago in Florida and we were on the way home. We were just jabbing back and forth talking and uh, we we're, were coming from, from Orlando and man, we, we're, we're making good time. You know, we've already made two stops at Bucky's, at, at Bucky's number one and Bucky's two, because we, what we didn't get at the first stop, we got at the second stop, 30 miles difference. And I'm just sitting over there munching, you know, on the, on the sausage dog on a stick. If you hadn't had that, that's a whole other heavenly experience. And, and we're just talking. And we take the shortcut. And then it feels like we're not going anywhere. And I look over, and I, way out in the distance off the interstate, I was like, man, Sean, what, what big city is that? Well, I don't know. Well, about 30 minutes later, I look out the window, Sean, what big city is that? It looks like the same city that we passed 30 minutes ago. Yeah, we were making a big loop all the way around Jacksonville because I took the shortcut, right? It was costly because it cost us the time, it cost us fuel, and it cost me a lot of patience because we were just driving in this, this loop. If you've been to Charlotte, it's the same thing. Like Charlotte, for some reason, decided to build an interstate that goes all the way around their city constantly. And what happens is when we get in these shortcuts, we start acting as if we know what to do and trusting in ourselves and we lose out because we'll make compromises. And when we compromise, what will happen is we will replace God for something. Like, I know God's got this, but I'm going to need you to, to God, I'm going to trust you 90%, but I've, the 10% of this I need, to, I need to go. Or I'm going to trust you at 99%, but 1% of this I need to be able to do. And so we begin making compromises and taking shortcuts and trying to find some type of replacement for God so that we can move through this trial as fast as possible even though we're not, he, he's the one that needs to be setting the pace for us going through these things. That temptation that we have to sin, James says, that is not from God. So we can't sit there and go, well, God calls me to do this. And, and as evangelicals, we've done it the other way. It's like, well, this, Satan did this. Like, I don't know if you grew up in some of the same churches, but man, if the soundboard had any feedback to it, it was Satan in the soundboard, <laughs> right? Oh, Satan did it. No, Satan didn't do that. Uh, because you've got a cable that's not plugged in all the way. That's what's causing the feedback. That's not the devil. But it's always the devil. The devil made me do it. 
The temptation that we have in the middle of trials is not from God. The reason James clarifies this is because in the Greek, the word for trial and temptation, guess what? It's the same word in the Greek. It's not until we get to the English that we actually have two different words. Trial typically means there's a difficulty, whereas temptation means that there's an opportunity to sin. But in the Greek, this is all one word. They use one word to explain trials and temptation. So the temptation to sin in a trial is never from God. James says because God only gives good gifts because that's what a good father does, isn't it? He gives good gifts. And that's because God, he says in verse 17, God is like the sun. The sun is always shining somewhere, right? It's always shining. You can hide yourself from the sun, and you can get far away from the sun, but the sun is always the same. Anybody agree with me on that? When I go to the beach, my goal is, is to not allow any sunlight to hit me. I don't care what that looks like. I don't care if it's being coated with things or if it's a big tent or, or whatever. I don't want any sunlight because I don't want any sunburn, okay? We good on that? And, and so the sun, even though you hide yourself from it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It's always the same. Anytime that you're in the presence of the sun, you feel warmth and you feel light, and that light radiates off of the sun. And he says, so God is also not like a shadow. James says, whose goodness lengthens or shortens depending on what time of the day it is. God is the same. He doesn't change in the middle of these trials. And, and, he, and God has one thing in his heart that he is always constant. God is always unfailing. And he's always, is forever good. And just as, as a way of proving that, James throws in one little line at the end of this verse when he says that he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures, even when you and I deserved anger and wrath, God gave you and I new life. And what he wants us to understand is God is a constant God, a good God that gives good gifts to his children. He's not luring us around to see if we will sin. He's not tempting us to see if we will mess up. Trials are not there to trip us up to sin. Trials are there because sin entered into the world and we go through hardships, but only with the promise that God walks alongside of us and in front of us to take us through the trial, his presence. We're not exempt. And so James says, you can rest assured that if this is what God did was take away the wrath and take away the punishment and the anger, then what you need to understand is this is a good father. This is a good God. So, James wants us to understand, too, is that when we didn't have a relationship with God, the Bible, Paul will tell us that you and I were enemies of God. Now, I don't, I don't think anybody, if, like, if I had to pick somebody to fight with, I don't think I want to fight with God. All-knowing, all-powerful, I've already lost, right? And he says that we were enemies of God, and we were spiritually dead. You know what dead people do, Anybody? nothing they don't come back as zombies they don't move we think they do but they don't move dead people do nothing salvation wasn't our idea it was God's and God breathed new life into us when we were dead so 
The question is, if we say that only good comes from God and any temptation to sin doesn't come from God, the question has to be, where does sin come from? It's a valid question, right? Well, in verse 14, James gives us anatomy of sin. Look what he says in verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? By his own desires. Now, the closer we get to God, our desires begin to add to his desires. We begin to align with his desires. But we have this thing called sin in our life that oftentimes our desires are not good desires. And if you really want to test your fruit, get stuck in a traffic jam. Drive through Somerville at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, Monday to Friday. And let somebody take a bite of your fruit and let's see how, how good you are. Right? Don't do it with a Together Church sticker on your car, please. But we, he says that when you're, you're lured and enticed by your own desires, because our desires don't always align, because we have, we have the sin. And James says that you may have indeed been wrong, but all the situation did was it provided an opportunity for the bad parts of us to be exposed, to come out. When we go through trials, we are enticed to oftentimes, like the trial is, let's just say somebody is, is talking about us, we know they're gossiping about us, and our first thing is, I, I'm, I'm going to say stuff back, I'm going to put some vague things on social media to kind of get at them, let them know I know that you're saying stuff about me, and, and then we, we start to fall down that shortcut, that off-ramp, and the next thing you know, we have gotten ourselves in a big ball of sin that we can't untangle because it's our our desire and sin comes from our our wayward and distorted desires that we have and until we embrace the fact that our desires are off we will never fully grasp the work that Jesus does within us to cleanse us of those sins and he says in verse 15 so, so you enticed by the desire, but look what he says now. Then the desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to what? To sin. So when we have these desires that do not align with God, those things give birth to sin. And desire grows in you until it finds an opportunity for an expression, to express itself in a way that you can express it, and you feel like you can get away with it when you express it. We'll, we'll say things like this. Because sin starts small, right? It's always something very, very small. And as the desire deepens in our hearts, it begins to grow. And when it grows, it gets stronger. And desires become so ingrained, they ingrain in our ways of thinking. And they ingrain in our ways, uh, uh, when we think, that the thinking becomes habits. And habits become addictions. And addictions end up becoming life trajectories. And that leads us to a spiritual death. When, when our desire gives birth to sinful behaviors. So let me give you a couple of observations here this morning. Number one, sin is the satanic off-ramp offered to us in a trial. Because we are so tempted to take the easy way out. There's an easy road and there's a hard road. And we oftentimes will take the easy over the hard. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not worth doing. I mean, I think back, not that I had anything to do with this or fully understand this, but childbirth. Ladies, you agree with that's tough, right? I mean, you, you got to carry around a lot of baby for nine months. 
it's, and, and if you do it in the summer, God bless you. You are a saint. And that's hard. Is it not? And then the birthing process, let's just say it right now. If it were up to us men in this room to populate the earth by having children, the earth would be not populated at all because we can't handle that type of pain, right? It wears us out just watching you have to go through that. It's just, there's this pain. It, it gives birth. But when we have this sin... Satan almost always offers some type of fleshly comfort as a substitute for trust. Always. Like, it might be a, a compromise. It might be a way for us to maintain control. Any control freaks in here at all? Like, you, you feel like, I've got to have, like, let's just do this. How many of you have to have the remote control, even if it's not your show on? Okay, that, that typically tells it. And when the remote's gone, you lose your mind about where the remote is at. Um, and so you will oftentimes, you will find a way to maintain control. And this might be through alcohol. It might be through uh, materialism. It might be through, through sex. It might be through bad relationships. It could be through shopping. It could be through manipulation. The bottom line is that you would say on this off-ramp that God is not good enough for you. And you can't put all your faith in him. And you need something right now to fix it but God's ways are higher than our ways. And what he asks us to do is to be patient and to wait, and he's going to lead us to where we need to be. But sometimes we want to get off track, so there's, there's these off-ramps that are offered to us in these trials. And when we take these, these off-ramps, the sin off-ramp, that leads us to death, the spiritual death. When we indulge on those desires, it leads to death. When we decide that hey, I'm going to say something back, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to, you know, whatever it is. It might be pornography. And the one thing is I'm just going to hit, I'm just going to clear the history out. I'm just going to clear the history out to make myself feel better because you feel like you need to indulge in that moment. It might be the bottle. It might be drugs. It might be talking to someone of the opposite sex. It's not your spouse, just to an innocent text to you, but it really is setting the stage to test the waters. It, it's the desire leads to death. Because in the moment, we try to feel satisfied. We try to feel like everything's okay, and we will do everything that we can. But let me tell you something. It always, sin always leads to our destruction. Always. The devil will try to use our desires to lead us to destruction. In Alaska, hunters have figured out how to hunt wolves. And what they would do is they started taking these knives and they would freeze them until they would form with ice. And they would bury it in the ground so just the ice was out. And the wolves would come and start licking the ice. And the more they licked, the less the ice got until finally they were licking the blade. And when they licked the first blade, there was blood all over the blade. And because they loved the taste of blood, they would continue to lick until they would bleed out and die. And then they got their hunt. That is what James is talking about here. That there's a blade, and it looks good, and it feels good. But after a while, it gets dangerous. And after a while, we find that we're bleeding. And after a while, we bleed out, and it's too late. And we found our way to death. 
Sin always leads to death. It always leads to destruction. And let me just throw this in there. As much as it leads to destruction for you, your sin has an effect on everybody else too. There are other people that it bleeds out onto. Always. So you can, you can take these off-ramps and, and you can take the sin off-ramp and, and try to move through this trial without having any, any hurt, any pain. You, you can do it your own way and it's going to make it worse and, and it's because your destruction is going to cause you to sin and that sin's going to lead you to death. But then the longer that the sin begins to grow in you, the harder sin becomes to kill. When you keep justifying it, well, I don't really struggle with that. I don't really. And then, y'all, let's stop calling mistakes mistakes and call it sin. It wasn't a mistake that I cussed you out because I didn't like you. It wasn't a mistake that I was talking about you. It was sin. Y'all notice how we do that in our society? It was a mistake. I made a boo-boo. <laughs> it is sin. And the longer sin grows, the harder it becomes to kill you, you, have to, you have to take it at the root. You have to kill it at the root. Like we've got this grass that started growing in our yard. All of a sudden it loves water. And once water hits it, it's, I've realized what I thought was grass, just like really fertilized grass is actually like some water weed that I can't get rid of. And, and we got this weed grass thing that's growing in our neighbor, like a couple of houses down from our neighbor, and it's moved to every summer, it moves one more house down because it's starting to overtake everybody's grass. And there's nothing you can do about it now because the first neighbor didn't tend to it. So now it's just blessing everybody all the way down. Doesn't matter what chemical you've put on it. Talk to people and they're like, hey, it's, it is what it is. This is the grass that you're gonna have in a couple of summers. But if it's killed at the very root, at the very beginning, it doesn't have that effect on everybody else. But the longer it grows, the longer sin grows, the harder it becomes. Puritan John Owen says this, that you must be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We have to take our thoughts and arrest them. We have to stop watching certain things. We have to start listening to certain things. We, we need to get out more. We need to to free our minds and focus on Jesus. We need to talk to people. We need community to live with. How many of you agree that being in community will help you move away from these desires? Because you need people in your life to tell you this is really dumb. And we don't want to hear it, but hey, this is really dumb. Stop doing that. Jesus is not pleased by that. This is going to lead to destruction. We have got to take sin seriously, and we have to kill it at the desire stage. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. The moment that you feel it, you need to call somebody, confess it, move away from it, get yourself outside of that environment. I had a friend of mine who was heavily addicted to cocaine. And by the grace of God, he became clean and got involved in the church. And I said, what, what did you do to, to do this? And he said, I never, ever drive down this street in this town, ever. I dodge it. I said, what do you think you're going... He said, that was with my drugs. That's, I bought and sold all my drugs down that street. I said, if you drove down it, do you think that you would go back to selling drugs? He said, I don't know, but I'm not going to find out. That's killing it at its root. Like, I'm not going to even play with it. I told you a couple of weeks ago about people that play with these animals. Like, I, I saw a guy the other day that he was mad because he tried to get into an event with his uh, emotional pet. You know what his emotional pet was? It was an alligator on a leash. And he's mad that they wouldn't let him take the alligator in for his emotional support. Well, your emotions might be good, but everybody else 
is worried about losing an arm. But you play with this emotional support animal alligator long enough, what's going to happen to you? And then we're all going to be surprised at the alligator whose desires meet. I can't believe he ate that guy. I thought they were friends. <laughs> you got to kill sin at the root. And one of the best things you can do is confess. And I, well, I'll write it down out of your mouth. Confess with your mouth. Confess it. Because the longer that sin grows, the harder it becomes to kill. And listen, Satan is in the desire cultivation business. He wants you to have these desires that are not biblical at all. He doesn't want you to have desires that please God. His main tactic is not always to directly attack you. To attack you. Sometimes he's just quietly, quietly cultivating these sinful desires in you and reinforcing them in you until they become second nature. And then you can't escape it. You notice how you've probably used this term about people of, man, they've really changed. And it's not in a good way, but they've really changed. It's because sin took in and slowly started justifying, started justifying, started justifying until it became a real thing. I learned something recently about ranchers and, and how they cultivate, cultivate beef, these beef cows. What they found was that at high stress levels, in cows, they'll, they'll begin to release hormones that will significantly downgrade the quality of meat. Did y'all know this? Because I know y'all read about meat all the time, so y'all probably, y'all probably did. So if you go to a nice steakhouse, you're being served the remains of a cow that has been very relaxed, who lived a totally stress-free life. He was vegan. But if you order the T-bone from Waffle House, you're looking at a cow that was an absolute nervous wreck on the, on the ranch. So what these modern ranchers realized, in order, we got to keep the cows, if we can keep the cows calm, it'll help, it'll help them be better cows. So what they do is, they don't, they don't chase them around on the ranch, they don't cattle prod them, they, they talk lightly, and they've realized that the, the nicer they are to the cow, the cows will just do what they ask them to, and they fatten them up, and and, and uh, what happens is they found that if they keep these cows contained and they keep these cows comfortable, then these cows will go over wherever they tell them to go. And they can lead them and they fatten them up and these cows are so happy and they're satisfied and then they're like, wait, this is a slaughterhouse. What is going on? What is Satan cultivating in your life right now? Fattening you up making you feel good and leading you directly to the slaughterhouse. The Bible says that the enemy is here to steal, to kill, and destroy. And we take it so lightly. And then we look at our world and go, oh my gosh, our world is a mess because we take sin so lightly. Think about it. Like, What if we were serious because the sin that we deal with, Jesus paid a high price for that. He pays a very high price for that. My point is, you have to take sin seriously, and you have to do serious work, repenting of that, confessing that, allowing God's grace to work in our lives. Get rid of it. And the best thing you can do today is to find somebody to confess that sin to, and that will hold you accountable.
that will check, not hold you accountable like legalistically. Man, how are you doing with this? Okay, what can I do to help you with that? How can we pray for this? And, and lead and guide, guide you on your journey. So this last part, James says this, go back to this theme. He says, blessed is the man who remains what? Steadfast under trial. This means being on guard too, by the way. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. He says, be steadfast. James uses these battle and athletic competition imagery. You notice that? He's commanding for us that there's going to be a battle for your soul. If we peel back the layers above us, we would see a spiritual warfare, a spiritual battle that is happening over our souls. Now, I, I've been fascinated with, like, the Navy SEALs, right? Not that I think that I'm going to be one. I'm past that stage. What am I kidding? I was never at that stage. But uh, Lone Survivor was probably one of my all-time favorite military movies ever made. I don't know if you've seen it, but the guy's crazy. And I don't always, I like to watch the movie. I don't really care to read the book. But I watched the movie and was like, man, I know the movie probably didn't tell me everything. So I went and got the book and read the book on this guy. And what I learned about the Navy SEALs were don't get caught in a dark alleyway with a Navy SEAL. Because when they go through what they call Hell Week, to become a SEAL, you have to make it through six months of training. So let's start with that. It's the hardest six months is the third week that they call Hell Week because they're like, this is what hell is going to be like. So for five and a half days in which you get almost no sleep, okay, in five days, you run over 200 miles. All right, we're all out, right? Mandy, you're still good. Everybody else is all out. I ain't running 200 miles. Or for up to eight miles at a time, they've got to run with a team of six other people. Have y'all tried to work with people in group projects before? So they have to run eight miles at a time with six other soldiers carrying a boat over their heads as they hike together through mud. No, friendships would be lost. And often, you do this when you're wet and you're cold and you're covered inside and out of your clothes. It's got sand all over it. And it, when I'm reading this account of Marcus Luttrell at, at camp, he actually climbed a rope, fell, broke his femur, and read five miles on a broken femur. I got a hangnail the other day. And I thought life was over. And you read this account of these seals who said, that because his team came in last, they had to do non-stop cycles of pull-ups, push-ups, and air squats for six hours straight. Sometimes at night when the temperature drops below the 40s, they stand neck deep in cold ocean water for over an hour. And here's the thing, at any point, one of those can choose to quit by simply walking over to the bell and ringing it and saying, I'm out. And if you say you're out, you're pointed and treated to hot chocolate, you have some warm coffee, you have some nice donuts, you have a nice bed to sleep in, but you are out. For those who remain steadfast to the end, they have the great honor of becoming a Navy SEAL. Now, we're not going to become Navy SEALs. I realize that. But James uses imagery like this to urge us to press on. Do not ring the bell in the trial. To push on. He says under trial, you keep running the race. You don't ring the bell because God has something, a promise on the other side that's worth more than anything that we could ever get here. Hold on. Don't give up. Hear me. 
You're going through a trial, and right now in your mind, you just want to give up and hang it up. Do not ring the bell. Suffering is not forever. It's a season. It's a season. God is up to something good. He's up to something good. And you may think, if I go through the trials, man, I don't have that in me to be able to make it through that. But you do. Because God has given you everything you need. And he's your father. Every perfect gift comes from who? From the father. It's in your weakness that you learn your strengths. Paul says, I boast in my weaknesses. Because I realize I don't have any strengths without Jesus. So I boast in my weakness that because I'm weak, Jesus did this. Look what he's doing. Because God demonstrates his love for us, we can be steadfast. We can admit that we're a sinner. We can admit that we were an enemy of God. And, and, And then we realize that God in his goodness and his love and his mercy and his grace and by the word of truth, that he swoops in and walks with us through that trial, his presence. You know, the promise that we celebrate at Christmas is not just the birth of Jesus. The true gift of Christmas is the presence of God among his people, living in his people. And he came in the human form of Jesus. This morning, I want to, as we close, I want us to pray through a couple of things together that you will remain steadfast to him because he has been steadfast for you. And that whatever you're going through, whatever your trial is, that may be hurtful, painful, I don't want you to pray that you will hurry up and get through it. What I want you to change this morning is pray that, God, I will be steadfast and keep my eyes on you. Stop watching the waves. Peter was cool walking on the water until he watched the waves. And it's when we take our eyes off the Father that we, we lose. Be steadfast. Do not ring the bell. So as we get ready to sing right where you are, there may be a, a sin that you know in your life that needs to be confessed. You may be holding out like, God, I, I'm ready to quit. I don't want to do this anymore. And one of the things you need is community. You need to grab somebody. It may be somebody in your life group. It may be somebody in your D group. It just may be a friend that's here and say, I need, I need you to pray for me because I'm, I'm about ready to quit. I about had it. I, I need to, you need to refocus. And if you're praying for somebody that's going through this, pray that God will pull their focus back to him. That's what we're praying. Not that, we're not praying these baby prayers of, I, God, just let it be over with, and God, just give the, no, no, no. Put their eyes back on you, the King of kings and Lord of lords, because if I'm seeing him, everything is good. Everything is good. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much. Trials stink. They, they, they're part of our, our life because we live in a world that has been broken and is, is sinful. But God, the promise of your presence to go with us, there is so much temptation to jump off the journey and, and take these own ramps that will lead us into sin and be so destructive for us. I pray that we would treat it seriously, that these desires will get worse and worse and worse until one day we, we stand realizing that we have destroyed a lot of things that were in our past because we chose to allow these desires, these sinful desires to cultivate. 
God, I'm so thankful that your word says that if we'll confess our sin, that you are just and faithful to forgive us. That is a promise. So today, with whatever sin is being confessed in this room, that whatever we say out of our mouths, God, we know from your word and because you are a God of a promise that you will forgive our sin. So I pray in this moment that your Holy Spirit would work, convict our hearts, draw us to you. I pray these things in your name. Amen and amen.